unshackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. That's a good song, amen. Aren't you glad he touched you? Amen. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight. We're going to get back to our series at some point here, but we just deviated the last couple of weeks as we've come to the end of the year. Now the new beginning of the year, we'll get back on track. Uh, but um, yeah, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, we're just going to read through verse 7, and then we're going to focus our attention on a couple of verses there. But notice it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, 
that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. That no one of you be puffed up for one another, uh, one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. But I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Father, we come to you, we ask for you to speak to our hearts tonight as we just consider a simple little thought, and we just ask that you would work and move in our midst and give to us insight and wisdom. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the wonderful truths that it does provide us, Lord, and enable us, Lord, to apply to our lives. Now, be glorified even this evening. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Indulgent pride is always a very ugly thing. And no matter how you dress it up, no matter how you describe it, it always leaves a bad taste in the mouth of those that are forced to sample it. Paul is addressing this distasteful spirit in the Corinthians. He's dealing with that now. And this passage is the result of a problem that Paul exposed even earlier in chapter 3. Turn there in chapter 3, would you, in verse 1. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? Ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but that but God giveth the increase, gave the increase. Excuse me. But God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. In this particular passage, again, we're saying that it has a, plays a factor or a role in what's transpiring and taking place in chapter 4. In this passage, we note the source of carnality. That source of carnality in verses 1 and 2 is clearly defined as immaturity. If there's carnality in the believer's life, it's because there's a spiritual immaturity that exists. 
He says in the passage, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now able. Why? Because they were carnal. They were babes in Christ still. The implication is, is that there should have been some growth. There should be some things that are taking place that will ultimately provide them with some more stability. But in this case, the source of their carnality is nothing less than immaturity. Can I tell you, wherever there is carnality, there is a level or some aspect of immaturity. Then we see in verse 3, we see the symptoms of carnality. In verse 3, for ye are, are ye, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you. He said, now, you're carnal. You want to know why? It's obvious, because there's a few things among you. It's clear that you are carnal. Why? Because among you there's envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal? It's walking men, he says. What he's saying is that the symptoms of carnality then are simple. They're envying, strife, and division. Wherever there are divisions in the house of God, wherever there's strife and envying, wherever there's those kind of characteristics and quality, he's saying, listen, you can bet your bottom dollar that there's carnality involved because it's just a symptom of it. Then Paul reveals the battle that's been raging in the Corinthian church. He goes on to say that there are those that say, well, I am of Paul, and there are others that say, I'm of Apollos. See, the people had lost sight of the big picture. They'd lost sight of God's purpose and God's plan. Paul would point out that God uses individuals for sure, but that individuals are not what is important. What is important is God who uses the individuals. Note verse 7 he says in the passage, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Again, neither is, he says, So then neither is he that planteth anything. That goes contrary to our, you know, self-esteem, doesn't it? He said, man, I'm a Sunday school teacher. You're nothing. I'm a preacher. You're nothing. I plant the gospel, you're nothing. I go out soul winning. Big loser. You're nothing. You're nothing. But God, they give the increase. He's everything. He's everything. We lose sight of that. And again, I know, I know you have to be careful. You don't just go around, oh, by the way, I appreciate you guys singing the choir, you losers. No, man, we appreciate that. And God is certainly pleased by that when it's done with the right spirit and the right attitude. But if it begins to puff up, it begins to elevate us and make us feel like we're somebody in something, then let me say we got to be careful because Paul's making it clear. God uses the people and does the work through them, and he's the one that really gets it done, not us. And we got to be careful. There's a statement that goes like this. It says, you can't see the forest for the trees. You've heard something like that before, haven't you? You can't see the forest for the trees, and the idea is that, in this case, their attention or their focus is... The idea is that the attention of the focus is most often limited to the few standing trees around us. 
We see the trees, but there's so much more. There's the forest, but we don't see the forest for the trees. And the Corinthians were carnal. They were fleshly. And that carnality limited their understanding and their view of what was really going on in the church. They couldn't see God because they were so fixated on the men God was using. They were so distracted by what was going on around them that they even began to choose sides. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. But Paul's saying, no, we are of God. Verse 9, he says, for we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So whatever you might think, the truth is, is that Apollos and I, whether you want to believe it or not, we're not on opposing teams. We're not on opposite sides. The fact is we're working together. Contrary to what you may think. And so we find ourselves back in chapter 4 where Paul's addressing this grotesque pride that was crippling the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. He begins by deliberately using himself and Apollos as an illustration. He says in verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. Instead of naming and shaming those that were causing the division in the church and the division among the people, the Apostle Paul instead says, You know what? I'm going to name myself and I'm going to name my dear friend and colleague Apollos. I'm going to bring us before you. I'm going to try to help you understand that we're not in opposition. As a matter of fact, I want you to learn from our friendship. You may think that he's on that side. You may think I'm on this side. You may, between yourselves, begin to start to draw some lines in the sand. But let me tell you, I want you to know that Apollos and Paul are united. We're in this together. So he urges the Corinthians to learn from his friendship. And he says that we're not, you're not to think of men above what is written. Man, every time we turn around in Scripture, it's important that we recognize how the Bible itself is always pointing back. It's always saying, listen, the Word of God is key. Make what's important what God says is important. Make a priority out of what God says is a priority. Don't put division lines or draw lines in the sand that God does not draw lines in the sand with. Be careful. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Again, we learned in chapter 3 that Paul had planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So again, Paul's reminding them that although his ministry may differ from that of Apollos's, and Apollos's may differ from that of Paul's, it's still God that's given the increase. And there's no place in the scripture 
that would elevate or diminish one or the other's ministry, he's saying. You don't choose Apollos' or mine. I laid the foundation, he's built thereupon, but it's God that gives the increase, he's saying. One of the great tragedies in churches, uh, in the perpetuity of the church, is that a pastor that starts a church ultimately has someone else, someone else steps in to take over down the road, and people are like, well, he's not like our pastor. Well, yeah, he's not, because he's not your pastor. He's different, he's unique, he's He's his own person. And, and, and the, the, the problem or the, the, the temptation is to begin to say, well, you know, in a sense, and it's a little different, obviously, but, you know, well, I'm of him, and, no, I'm of him, and, well, I'm of him, and next thing you know, there's division in the church. Well, he doesn't do things the way the former pastor did. Well, all we're really saying is, I'm of the former pastor, or I'm of the present pastor. No, they don't have to do everything the same. As long as it's not unscriptural, what's the difference? Get on board. It's God that gives the increase, he's saying. Therefore, he goes on to say, you should not... He says, you should not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Again, he's pointing out that to choose sides in this case was certainly to go beyond the bounds of Scripture. Why? Because the Lord himself had prayed for the unity of believers. Every time we see the Lord, he's always wanting unity, right? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. While the Lord was on earth, he says in John chapter 17, verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice again that they may be one. The unity that Christ has been praying for and desiring and asking God the Father for. We saw evidence of this unity in the early church, didn't we? Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Early on in the book of Acts, it's obvious that this unity is on display. In chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul that Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 
And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and did eat, excuse me, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Again, notice the unity here. They were unified in such a very, uh, very obvious way. I mean, it's clear as you go down through, you, they sold their possessions and their goods. They parted them to all men. They, they, uh, uh, as every man had need, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They broke bread consistently and daily. The, man, they just, it was, it was a, a body, legitimately, literally a body. Again, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. That word for puffed up comes from a word that means to be inflated. And um, it's being used by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians to denote the attitudes that, well, are being expressed here in the Corinthian church, which is nothing less than just simply human pride. This year for Christmas, uh, Sherry uh, and I, we, we got one of the grandkids a... Um, an inflatable punching bag. You know, that's one of the great gifts of all time, isn't it? You get to go pounding on something. I mean, it's just great. So you blow up this uh, inflatable punching bag, which in the day, you know, they used to have clowns or they have dinosaurs or whatever it might be. And, and you, know, then, you know, in the day, they even used to put a little red ball on the end, like a nose, and it would even make a noise if you hit it and you know, just all kinds of, so you knew exactly where to hit the person you were going to fight with at school the next day. <laughs> but anyway, they had that thing, and it would stand up there, and the kid would just hit it, you know, and you blow it up with air, but then in the bottom, you know, in these days, now you need to put some sand in it or some water in it to weigh the base down, and as they, the child hits that, that, uh, uh, that, 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 that um, uh, inflatable uh, punching bag, it then bends over and touches the ground even, and then pops right back up. That's a, like I say, it's a lot of fun, it's great. But, you know, the truth is, is that there's no real substance to that thing. It's simply hot air. That's all it really is. You take a needle and you poke it in that thing, it's going to collapse. It's going to wilt to nothing. There's nothing there. There's no substance. And Paul is warning the Corinthians to not be puffed up or inflated with pride. Pride is only hot air, and it lacks any real substance, is what he's saying. We think about pride, and again, uh, often a person with great pride elevates or somehow sees themselves as being bigger than they really are. It's all hot air. And the Lord hates pride. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. As you started getting older as a kid, you know, you got those little inflatable punching bags. The next thing you know, I mean, they're airborne. You know, you're hitting them and they're, the bases are flipping all the way up, you know, flipping over, you know. You know, just last year I broke one, but <laughs> they are a lot of fun. Those things are great. Oh, man. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, 
Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now that really, when you think about it, you stop right there just reading that. These six things doth the Lord <clears throat> hate. And I mean to tell you, that, that goes, you want to talk about something that's contrary to our culture. You know, nowadays, I mean, you can't, just to use the word hate is like, I hate you for hating you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's so crazy, right? You can hate me for hating, but, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? It's all right. But, but, but I mean, God, it says here, hates some things. Notice this. Seven are abomination unto him. You ever think about that word abomination? Have you ever looked up what an abomination is in the Bible and how it's described and what it's defined as? How many different things are abomination to God? You take what's being promoted around the country in America today and you compare it to the Bible and you ask yourself, what word best describes the kind of teaching that's being taught in our school systems and around the world to our young people? And the, the closest word is abomination. It's pitiful. But you're not allowed to say that, nor are you allowed to think it in America. But I'm telling you, there's real problems today. But the Bible hasn't changed, and neither has God. And the fact is, is that he says there are some things that he hates. Seven are abomination unto him. And I want you to notice right off the bat in verse 17, a proud look. And that's something. You know, now this is where I want to kind of I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I want us to think about this for a minute. The first thing he says is a proud look. Do you know what he doesn't say? A transgender. A gay person. He doesn't say that. He says a proud look. That's the first thing he says. I want you to ask yourself a question. Have you ever been prideful? Before we start throwing stones at everybody else because they're not as good as we are, we better just take inventory of our own lives and ask ourselves a question. Do I allow pride in my life in any area, in any way? Because if I do, then I'm on the opposite end of God in that, that realm, in that situation. And before we're quick to cast our stones at everyone else, we ought to be very much, much more quick to point our fingers at ourselves and acknowledge the fact that we got some issues that we better deal with. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hmm. and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet to be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. And finally he says, and he, this is the seventh, seven are an abomination. This is really, 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 really bad. And he that soweth discord among the next time you try to make somebody question authority in the church when there's no scriptural foundation for it, my friend, you become an abomination to God. Think about it. Before you start marching up and down the street with a sign that says down with all the, 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 the teachings in the schools, down with what's going on in our country, you better start thinking about what you're talking about. What I'm talking about. We better think about some things and recognize that we're not always on the right side of God either. Just because we claim to be Christian doesn't mean that he's on our side. 
We better get on his side. And I, I don't know, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm just trying to say, you know, it's easy in the culture and the world we live in to somehow get kind of an uppity attitude and think somehow that we're better than now because we don't do some of the things that we see being promoted in our culture. But my friend, we are living out sin every day of our lives if we have prideful and if we are causing division or have a lying tongue. By the way, stretching the truth is a lie, is it not? Think about it next time. A half-truth is a whole lie. It tells us to what? Get the beam out of our own eye before we take the moat out of another, right? Yeah, think that through a little bit. In the Corinthian church, there were those who were blowing themselves up like bullfrogs. You ever see those? Right? They were seeking to lure members to support their particular view of things. You need to see it my way. Remember, the Corinthian church trailed in no spiritual gifts. I mean, they had all the spiritual gifts, but they also abused them like no other church did. And gifts, obviously, th those can really puff folks up. They can make them see themselves as bigger than they really are. And Paul was denouncing all of them. Paul was saying, no way. I don't care if you're speaking in tongues. I don't care if you're prophesying. It doesn't matter what you're doing and all these gifts you supposedly have. The fact is, is this, is that you are blowing up your pride is destroying your testimony. It's wrecking the ministry. It's dividing the people of God. So he goes on to ask a series of questions. Notice what he says in verse 7 of chapter 4. Brings all this into perspective real quick. He asked these three questions. Here they are. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Who maketh thee to differ from another? Chapter 4, verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? That's a pretty good question. You know, we'd like to all believe that we're a little different than people, and yet we all want to be the same. It's funny, isn't it, in our culture how that is? Everybody's an individual, but everybody wants to do the exact same thing. See, how do you know that? Well, I'm not a TikTok guy, and I don't think anybody in their right mind would ever be on it. But I'll be honest with you. All you have to do is watch those teenagers and these young people that come in off of our buses and some of your children, and you, all you need to know, see them doing is the certain little dances and all the little moves that go along with it. You know where they learn that? TikTok. You know why they do it? They want to be like them. It's funny. We're going to be an individual, but we want to be like everybody else doesn't make any sense. You know how you can be an individual? Be a Christian and be light in darkness. Stand up for Jesus Christ and I promise you, you'll be unique. Who maketh thee differ from another? What makes you any different than the next guy or the person beside you? Well, I speak in tongues more than any. Well, I have the gift of prophecy. Well, I can sing like a lark. Well, I can 
What makes you different from all others? What makes you any different than the next guy or gal? Then he asked the second question. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Because it's all going to come down to this now. What makes you so different? Because in the end, what do you have that you did not receive? Well, well, I got a voice and they don't. What did you not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Well, I can teach. I'm a good teacher. Well, what do you have that you did not receive? And number three, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. If you did receive it, which you did, because God gave it to you, why are you running around glorying in it as though you didn't receive it? How's come you act like you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps? How's come you're going around pretending as though you worked so hard that you developed it in a way that now it's better than anybody else and you are more talented than anyone else. Wait a second, didn't you just receive that? Didn't you receive the ability you have? Didn't you receive the breath that you take into your body? Didn't you receive the health and the abilities that you now possess? If you received them, then why are you going around glorying as though you didn't? That's what he's saying to them. So what makes you different than the next guy? You're not anybody special because you, like me, received it from God. And that's his point. And that is a point we can never forget. Every natural talent, every gift, every ability we possess, we've received from God. He made us. He gave us our physique, our looks, our intelligence, our abilities. They're all received. Every spiritual gift that we have is ours by the grace of God and no other reason. Oh yeah, it's useful. It can be made useful under our control and direction only when the Holy Spirit is controlling us though. We can use it as He gives us direction and leadership. As He empowers us. We do so much in our flesh. Is it any wonder we take credit for it? Because we're doing it in the flesh so often. We sing specials in the flesh. We sing choir in this flesh. We teach Sunday school in the flesh. We preach the message of God in the flesh. We soul win in the flesh. We live in the flesh. And then we say, if only others were like me. Because again, we do it in the flesh, therefore why wouldn't we be carnal and try to seek glory from it? But he says, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As, as if thou hadst not received it. The Lord may permit us to achieve some measure of success, even fame, in the development and exercise and the use of the gifts. 
but the glory always belongs to him. I mean, there's a measure of satisfaction that a person can enjoy in something that they've created or accomplished in this life, no doubt. But still, even the very ability that they have to do so was given them by God. So, once again, all praise belongs to Him. When it comes to spiritual things, all is of God. And when it's all said and done, everything really is a spiritual thing. The songwriter understood this timely truth. Not have I gotten but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Paul's reminding the Corinthians that there are no self-made men. Only God-made men. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Corinthians, your pride is bringing contention. Somehow you've gotten the idea that you've become self-made men, that you've done something in your own strength and ability that is somehow not God-given, but you are sorely mistaken. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. May we never forget that there are no self-made men or women, only God-made men and women. That every good thing that we have and every success that we ever seem to enjoy is a direct result of what He has already given us. We have all received, therefore may we not glory in it as though we have it, because we have. So if you've got a good family, you glory in the Lord. You've got a good wife or husband, glory in the Lord. You've got a good marriage, a good home, you've got a good church, you've got a good ministry going, glory in the Lord. Amen. Glory in Him. Father, we come to you. We thank you again just for the simplicity of your word. And Lord, we thank you.